you know, I said it to Tom earlier, but like this was a, uh, you know, we've all had that experience. Like I, I was, I was a good looking guy. I was reasonably popular in high school, but you know, like that one time the hottest girl in school, like everybody's on vacation or something. She's like, Hey, we should hang out this night. And you hang out with her and you're just like awkward for a while because like you're, you're out of your league or whatever. Yeah, but then you unfollow her on Twitter just to get a little bit of confidence. Welcome to The Dead Format, episode 88. My name is Ian McEwen. And I'm joined tonight by my co-host, the guy who waits 364 days a year for International Women's Day, Thomas Smiley. And we're here to talk about legacy finance. They owe me an hour. But I I don't know if there's something that's going on with that that I'm missing. But I'm going to ignore it for now because I I don't want to go there. No, it's great, man. We had my favorite holiday last week with Super Tuesday. We got your favorite holiday this week. And uh, we we got a lot going on, man. First of all, I just wanted to knock off. We got Hackbirds open, right? We do. So we remembered this time, mostly because he sent us enough messages for us to remember. But Saturday, March 14th at noon Arizona time, which I'm not sure what Arizona time is, but the location is Phoenix Gaming Lounge and the stream is Twitch TV slash Arizona Magic. They have a legacy event that they are streaming and... The events have been really fun to watch in the past. So even though we, uh, I didn't watch the last one because I forgot about it, even though he told me three weeks ahead of time. We have another one coming up on Saturday. All right, man. Well, that's, uh, I'm pretty anxious. That's enough malarkey. We're going to get right to our guest. We have on this episode, rolling out the red carpet for the, one of the founding members of Brainstorm Brewery, the creator of the MTG Finance Discord. The content czar of EDA track, uh, Cool Stuff Inc. author. I think that's everything. Uh, probably not. Jason E. All. Uh, the the MPG Finance subreddit. I should have put that first, right? Not disc. Not the disc. I have nothing to do with the Discord. Oh, did I say Discord? Yeah, because because you really wanted to legitimize it. You're like, nah, he wouldn't do anything as terrible as create a subreddit. Like, who wants or needs that? Bro, that subreddit is not the worst. It's it's not, and that's because I'm not moderating it anymore. Because okay. I was a little bit tyrannical and I had to take a step back. <laughs> I was like, maybe I shouldn't be in charge of this. So, yeah, what you said was all mostly correct. I'm not really a founding member of Brainstorm Brewery, but I was... They had them like 10 episodes when I came along, so... 10 episodes in the, the, the span of like seven years doesn't make that much difference. But yeah, I'm, I'm on Brainstorm Brewery and I'm, I'm still there. So it's a podcast about MTG Finance and it's been going for a long time. So if that's something you think you'd be interested in, um, we are where there are podcasts. Yeah, I, you guys have definitely been on the air for a very long time. And to put this in perspective, for those of you that know me, I listened to Brainstorm Brewery when I was going to the gym. So if you've seen me in the last four or five years, you know that 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 was a long time ago. 
I listened to Brainstorm Brewery getting in shape for my wedding in 2014, man. That, that's what I think of when I think of Brainstorm Brewery. And you guys have been putting out quality content for a long time. And I can't believe I forgot the most important one of your credentials, which is Money Draft co-host. Well, uh, for those who are aware of Money Draft, the very first MTG Lifestyle podcast, uh, Marcel and JR did record an episode with me last week, but I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day. It was uh, It was oh. iridescent. Dude, that's that amazing. We actually included like five episodes ago a plea to anyone who might be listening to get another episode of Money Draft on the air. Well, JR's got so many opinions. Like there's so many fiascos to weigh in on. Like as soon as I heard about coronavirus, I'm like, yep, JR's champion at the bed to talk about that because it's a fiasco that affects financial markets. That's like it's yeah. right in his wheelhouse. Oh, it did today. And I'm I think that I'm just like freaking out but i had to take the the mass transit into boston to go to a hospital two weeks ago and i woke up this morning with a little bit of a sore throat and a dry cough and like that's it i'm dying that's that's what's going on in my head right now i mean you're not gonna die necessarily but you will 100 percent have coronavirus yes so thank you for yep that yep it's a good thing i have five million rolls of toilet paper from costco because i bought i bought a lot of it some dude Bro. wearing a surgical mask, like, touched his eye and then touched the handle on the the mass transit, and then everybody else touched <laughs> it. I was wearing a mask. I don't understand how I'm patient zero. It's cool. Can we get a toilet paper finance check? Um, life's too short to buy terrible toilet paper. Oh yeah. Like my mother just, she has she has two ply money. But she gets, like, real thin toilet paper. She's like, because we go through a lot. I'm like, you go through a lot because it's so thin. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's, the real, uh, that's the real eye-opener, man. Just go to Costco. You'll pay one-ply prices for two-ply. I promise. You didn't have to buy in bulk. It looked like I was hoarding. I just <laughs> I just have uh, five toilets in my house. All right. So where are you, Kalamazoo? Is that right? Yeah. Not so. To, I don't, no one's you, murdered me yet, and I've deserved it. So I like. I just tell people where I live. I live in West Michigan. Oh, nice. So, is there uh, still hand sanitizer there? Um, I I haven't really gone out to see if there's. I guess I'm insulated just by virtue of staying in the house mostly, except to take my kid to school. So I haven't really been to stores. I'm sure there's hand sanitizer, but. Uh, I think wow. I think we would be okay. Like zombie apocalypse, I, I think we're like sparsely populated enough that we would have a solid plan in place before we realized our neighbors were the the Walking Dead. So um, I'm not too worried about like getting trampled in a Target for a bottle of Purell. I th- I think we're gonna be okay. But uh, bigger cities, yeah, it's it's a problem. I don't know why everyone the t- toilet paper is to go to. I've watched every episode of Doomsday Preppers because those people are living cartoons. I haven't seen anyone's like, look at all my shit tickets. It's mostly like, we have food and water. And I think people should have planned a little better. Well, I mean, the thing is, you have an infinite supply of toilet paper with your shower, right? Like, you can just wash your ass. <laughs> yeah. You should be so, doing that anyway. It's like, yeah. doesn't everyone have a bidet? Like, who's using toilet paper like a peasant? What are you out of corn cobs? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what year is it? Come on. 
Um, yeah, it's kind of strange to run out of toilet paper like that, but uh, people just know. want to feel like they're doing something. And the scientists are like, wash your hands and stop touching your face 50 times an hour. And they're like, I heard by TP. So they heard what they wanted to hear. I really well, think it's so hard to stop touching your face, though. Have you tried that yet? No, I'm not going to. All I do is touch my face 24 seven. Every yeah. every time that I'm reading one of the articles on how to like stop the spread that said, try to limit touching your face. My hand is always on my face as I'm reading the article. <laughs> and then two minutes later, it's right back. I haven't picked my nose like this since first grade. I'm just digging for gold every time someone. It's like try not to face. think of a zebra, right? Exactly. When someone's like, "You touch your face fifty times an hour," your first thought is, "No, I don't," and then your second thought is, "Man, I'm touching my face a lot." <laughs> yeah, just between your eyes, just starts to itch as soon as you hear that. Yeah, I don't know. just don't touch other people's faces. I think, right? Just wash your hands. There you go. <laughs> All right, so Tom mentioned a couple episodes ago that actually it was Alyssa's idea, if I'm not mistaken, right? Tom, oh, you want to talk to this? Was. Yeah, so my my wife, I don't want to say has been my on, wife, sorry, has been on a driven mission. It's been subtle, but over the years she has been chipping and chipping away about maybe downsizing my magic collection, and we're at a point right now where I moved some cards and we bought a house. And there's a lot of improvements and things that we want to get done. And I have all these cards just sort of sitting there. Haven't had a ton of time to be able to actually get out and play because we have a child as well. So Ian had the wonderful idea. Let's get our favorite podcast host on who is more in tune with all of this than we are and talk about that. The best time to buy magic cards is 1993. And the best time to sell them is never. Um, that's the way I look at it. However, really, however, should you want to make home improvements? I think that that's the kind of thing you uh, that's that's when you sell some cards, right? Like you got your legacy deck. There are fewer and fewer opportunities to play a legacy these days. Unfortunately, that's uh, kind of what I've encountered. Um, so I, I think if you scaled down maybe from collection level and got to deck level if that makes sense yep. instead of like being able to build a ton of stuff in legacy you're like here's my deck and when i play legacy i got my deck and then maybe you keep some stuff for sideboard stock but like you make some home improvements you've given yourself an interest free loan is what you did like a bank's not going to give you an interest free loan so if you can utilize some of your cardboard's value and these are these are like dual lands where back in 1995 you crack open a booster pack you're like my rare's a land this sucks and then now today it's like all right i could put in a new washer and dryer for this one card that sounds good um i think uh, i think it makes sense to do something like that uh, corbin hostler of uh, brainstorm brewery and coverage very famously saw that um the fetch lands were going to go up so he had like um misty rainforest and scalding tarn and those um he traded for all those at rotation they doubled he sold a whole bunch to get a fridge and then they quadrupled from there and we all laughed at him but what he did was he you know used his foresight doubled up easily 
and basically got free appliances on the basis of paying attention to what was happening. So, like, on the basis of enjoying Legacy, you've made some value in your collection by, like, wanting good cards, and then they went up because other people wanted good cards, too. So, like, you're being rewarded by having a valuable collection, by, like, having the foresight to want things other people wanted, and having the disposable income at the time to buy them. So if you did want to turn a portion of your collection, not the whole thing, now's not a bad time. Crypto Summer would have been better, obviously, when all the reserve list stuff uh, went nuts. And that stuff's returning to normal, but at the same time, it's it's up. It's all your legacy stuff is, is worth more than you paid for it. So you made you made money and if you want to do other stuff with it. Now if you're if your wife is bullying you, ask her what she what her stuff she's gonna sell. Oh no no no. So oh. now she she has some cards too, which are probably gonna stay in, in her box for her to play with, but I, another thing that I wanted to bring up is like this sort of magic moving more toward the digital realm and whether or not that, that sort of thesis you had about the best time to sell is never, when is the bottom going to drop out or is it, is it just going to be never? Well, cause p- people want to play reserve list stuff and they want to play that in paper. So the the stuff that's worth the most money is the stuff that's going to be the most resistant to being digitalized. I got you. If that makes sense. So like old school's never going away. So like if they print like the set after Akoria 100% on Arena, people are still going to play with their paper cards forever until they're dust, right? So yeah. they are they're trending towards having a bigger digital presence and they're cutting the LGS out a little bit. And all those are pretty troubling signs for people that like the cardboard economy because it's employed millions of people. So, yeah, I mean, that's a thing. But at the same time, it's not really going to affect the really valuable stuff that is playable and collectible. Because a card like Black Lotus is iconic, playable and collectible. It's got so much going for it. You know, Underground Sea, same kind of deal, right? People who don't play Magic know Black Lotus. So stuff like that, it's it's got so many axes where it can retain value. Um, like modern stuff, you could get pinched a little bit, but if we're, if you're looking at old school stuff and you know, there's an appeal to playing with those older cards in paper, and that's not going to go away. And I think people may double down on their paper if Magic like really shifts hard toward digital. I think the vintage and legacy and old school and like, you know, old school EDH. I think those people may actually double down and be like, look, we want to make sure that there's there's paper magic being played. And they might resist that by like, okay, if it's on us to make our own events, we'll make our own events. So I think you may even see more opportunity to play your paper cards if magic did take a harder turn toward digital. I like that take. That listeners, that's way better than Ian and I can do. Yeah, I feel like I have to push back a little. And, and I, I, for the most part, I agree with, with exactly what you're saying. But uh, I wasn't playing during 2008. So obviously, with, with what's going on right now, we saw the Dow drop like 2,000 points today. 
where the the volatility in the market's really spiking right now. And the stories that I've heard from other old school players is that there was a, a big drop in power and a lot of it ended up in European hands during like the, the last 08, 09 recession. Uh, do you think that, well, first of all, Jason, were you playing back then? And do you think that that's overstated or do you think that there really, there really was like a drop in prices at that point? Um, there was, but, um, only for that stuff specifically, like okay. there's a, there's a paradoxical thing that happens during recessions where movie ticket sales go up and everyone's right. like, how do movie tickets go up when people don't have the, the income because of the recession. But the truth is people aren't going to Disney world and that's why they're going to the movies more. So if old school stuff, like your really expensive stuff is the Disney world of magic that's going to be impacted, but the movie tickets of Magic, which is like, you know, a Korea booster packs or whatever, that's going to do fine, so the game's going to be fine, which means there's no reason to panic sell your old school stuff, because the game will survive the recession. And in fact, it it may look pretty good compared to some other stuff over that period. Because, like, five bucks for F&M is a pretty good, decent, cheap way to be entertained for an entire Friday versus whatever else people are doing getting drunk for 60 bucks i don't know where you live it's i have routinely have 60 dollar bar tabs so quite pricey around here absolutely i think that with the um you cut taxes there's a recession right that that's what happens you cut taxes and then the next uh, president's a democrat and you're like whoa look what you did um (laughs) (laughs) clean up this mess uh so that 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 does tend to to happen, and um, I don't think Europe is going to be as insulated this time around. Um, yeah, that's actually a great point. I hadn't I hadn't actually thought about that in relation to this. So this stuff could end up in Japan, but Europe is not going to be better off than us. Not with all the uh, the Trump esque stuff um, that's going on in England, all that Brexit noise. I don't think they're um, that Europe is going to be as insulated from. Uh, from our economy taking everybody else with us as they were last time. Because it's not just a housing crisis, is it? It's um, it's a little bit bigger than that. Plus, they're dealing with the, the same pandemic we are, so... Yeah, I, I have a grad school classmate who's, uh, who's straight from Italy. Family is still over there and everything. And the even though his family is sort of like out in the rural area on a, on a farm, basically... The markets are shut down. The stores are shut down. People are just staying in their house, and this is like countrywide. And I can't, yeah. I can't even imagine it. They're saying no weddings in Italy, no weddings or funerals. No weddings in Italy. They have a whole soup named after how much they love weddings. That's crazy. <laughs> they, you can't enforce a no funeral policy during a pandemic. Yeah, like well, nobody's that, allowed to die. That's seriously fucked up, honestly. I, I don't know what <laughs> you do. Like, we'll keep the body cold. I don't know. You just don't have a gathering. You just, I don't know. Just you could stream post- it, maybe, right? You just write F on the guy's Facebook wall, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Press F. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Italian traditions, but I I do know that. Um, they may or may not be overreacting, but 
Yeah, it's really hard to judge what what is an overreaction. Because every time I talk to somebody and they're like, listen, it's just the flu. Well, I want to be a little bit more worried than that. But not going outside completely and sort of locking ourselves away isn't going to help either. So you want leaders you can sort of turn to 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 understand what's going on. And I'm not sure we have one of those right now. Yeah, it turns out um, you can't pray away coronavirus. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be wiped out already. So they're saying um, like a 2% and up morbidity rate, which are, or mortality rate, which I think is is a lot for a flu. And they're saying there's evidence that there is like a combination of immunosuppressive effects yeah. and like lung damage permanent lung yeah. damage even for people who survive like similar like to what we saw too, with yeah. yeah so this isn't the flu no yeah good i'm glad you're woke on this man I, i've been reading a lot about it i actually sent an email to the cdc today because i noticed something uh scientifically speaking that I, i'm not sure if they caught it seems like places that begin with an i get hit really hard like iran italy so I just want them to be on the lookout for like Iowa, Idaho, like places that could really explode here. Well, there's Indiana is right near me, oh. Illinois, like oh. Midwest, uh, Iowa. Yeah, you got your Midwest geography on lock, huh? Indianapolis, Indiana, everybody has died from coronavirus. They, they got it doubled. It's real bad there. I would not want to be living there, no. I'm actually Nothing of value was lost, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm just Indianapolis is my favorite place for magic events, and I I I wish they did. They used to have like a GP every year, and then sometimes other stuff too, and uh, Gen Con. Like I had a lot of opportunities to go to Indianapolis, and it's a, a great city for it. We just had our brainstorm brewery party at GP Indianapolis 2019 because oh, Channel nice. Fireball sponsors brainstorm brewery, and they let us use the hall, so that was cool. So oh, Indianapolis sick, is a great city, but you're all going to die. I'm sorry. What happened to Squatty Potty? Is that no longer a thing? They they sent us a big check and we're like, ah, we're sponsored by Squatty Potty. And then they sent us a bunch of Squatty Potties. And that's a big ask for my household because, like I said, f- uh, four toilets. So, um, Wow. Yeah, uh, we're completely covered. Um, I honestly, I couldn't tell and, But you then they just they ghosted us. That's awesome. No. Because, well, it was a whole deal because they did an, an AMA. This is this has nothing. This is such a tangent, but you brought me on here and goaded me. That's, we'll talk about it. They did an AMA where they're like, we would love to do some more advertising or whatever. And Corbin's like, we have a podcast. And they're like, all right, cool. Tell us about your podcast. He's like, well, we have this many listeners, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, we're interested. And then they ghosted us for a month. We hit him back up. We're like, hey, what's the deal? I thought we were in talks or whatever. And the guy's like, well, we got a new CEO and fired the whole marketing team. So you weren't talking to me. And now you're talking to me. What did the last guy say? And we did the whole <laughs> spiel again. He's like, that sounds pretty good. So finally, like a month or two after that, they sent us a check. And they're like, wow. here's for three months of sponsorship or whatever. And they sent us squatty potties. And, you know, we were like, we were like, this is the shit. <laughs> Pun intended. 
<laughs> and then <laughs> after the three months were up and we we're like, so did you guys want to re up and like send us another check and then we do another three months or whatever? Can we see how many people used our affiliate link? Which was squattypottycom slash BSB, which yep. is the affiliate link still works, but like, I don't know if they're tracking it at all. So <laughs> they just ghosted us, you know? So they sent us money. The check didn't bounce. It was good money. They sent us the squatty potties. They were super all about us. And I think whoever was in charge just, I don't know, just got let go. Is that a squatty potty pun, let go? Anyway, the, <laughs> we haven't heard anything in a, in a while. So, like, now it's just a meme. We're, like, giving them free advertisement just because it was so funny that two years ago they gave us money. So, shoot your shot, I guess is what I'm saying. At podcasters, you know, if you want to be a guest on another podcast, just ask. If you have a podcast and you'd like to have somebody on, you know, you'd be surprised how amenable... Even people high up in Wizards, you know, like Gavin Verhey will come on your podcast. Just yeah. shoot your shot. You got to ask, right? Yeah, yeah Everybody exactly, should man. shoot their shot. Do you want to be sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings or a beer company or, you know, ask Ultra Pro. You never know, man. Just just shoot your shot. So we uh, took our squatty potty shoddy and it worked out for us. And now we have a good story to tell. And That's good on- advice unironically my parents have a squatty potty and it is actually delightful so what's that affiliate link again jason <laughs> squattypottycom slash bsb we get absolutely nothing out of it um they they have no idea you don't get a discount it's just <laughs> it's just a link they forgot to disable when they just decided to cut us out of their lives and, or uh, they uh, they have the beer shit bros now. They sponsor that podcast, and that's now their affiliate link. It's I mean, possible. it's possible. I mean, anybody who's had the beer shits knows you probably don't need a squatty potty. Like everything's everything's fine. I don't actually know what a squatty potty is. Is it one of those okay. things that goes it's on the a, floor that kids? It's shit a in? it's a plastic stool, right? <laughs> and it kind of is horseshoe shaped. So part of it, like, wraps around the bottom of the base of the toilet, and you put your feet up on it. And when you put your feet up, it changes the angle. Your your colon is less, like, pinched by the... Because ah. humans were meant to squat. They weren't meant to sit. Right. So to relieve yourself, you should be in a squatting position, and bringing your feet up off the floor and your knees up puts you more in a natural squatting position. But you're not squatting. You're sitting comfortably on your toilet seat. And your feet are up, and it just makes everything move a little bit easier. It's just a so little plastic stool, and my daughter will take it away from the toilet and put it in front of the sink so she can stand up on it and brush her teeth. So it has non-zero utility for people with kids and short people, I guess. So I don't know why I'm pitching this so hard. They don't. They gave us a check two years ago, but you know what? It's a, a product I use every day, so I'm... I will come on a magic podcast and talk about magic for zero minutes of it. I'm super 100% okay with that. Now that sounds awesome, man. I'm sold. I kind of want one now. It's a good product. As much as like it was funny that they gave us money and it's like, ah, it's a poop product. Like, legitimately, we, I considered getting four of them in the mail to be a very large perk. Yeah. I've always kind of been a shooter just uh, by nature. And 
so far, like in the podcast game, shooting my shot have worked out really pretty well for me. I'd say. I, I don't know, Tom. I so think? I think I think that we have uh, we have a game changing moment where early in the Democratic primary, Ian shot his shot with Mike Bloomberg, and actually sent out an email to the campaign before they started to sponsor social media influencers and people to promote him as a candidate. And I think his email got into somebody's ear and everything that's wrong with Mike Bloomberg's campaign started with Ian. Well, I went all out though. I I offered to really compromise our morals. Like I explained like my politics and Tom's politics. And I was like, look, we'll be, this will be seamless, bro. We will sell out so hard. But the problem is, I had 2.5K, and I thought about it, and I was like, no, I wouldn't do that for 2.5K. So I went to 25K, and then I was like, well, you know, I got to split it, so I went to 50K. Mm-hmm. And I think I just aimed a little too high. For yeah, Bloomberg, that's like $10,000 like... a listen. <laughs> He's got yeah. the money, though. Yeah, that's what I figured, right? Like the and only I, I thing totally... the only thing more expensive than lighting half a billion dollars on fire in like a, a three month vanity run just to like try to kneecap Bernie Sanders. The only thing more expensive than that would be like, I don't know, paying his fair share in taxes. <laughs> so like Seriously though, that's that was his calculation, right? It had to be. <laughs> yeah, it's like half a billion is nothing compared to what I would have to pay if someone was Someone like Elizabeth Warren, who's capable of like actually understanding and enforcing tax code, was in charge. Yeah, I get it. Um, so I wish yeah. the thing is like a lot of that money went to like right wing radio stations and TV companies, which sucks. But like a lot of that money ended up in the hands of liberal arts majors, and I think that's a real economic stimulus. I honestly think if you're a billionaire, you should have to run for president till you're eliminated. So I think that you're 100% right. I think that it doesn't actually matter. Like I, I indirectly work in marketing right now. And if money goes one direction, it doesn't really matter because everything else rises around it because those spots aren't available. So it's kind of like it doesn't matter where you spend your money. It's, it's ending up in the hands of the market in general, right? Because there's only so much ad space you can buy. There's a, you, know, you have to reach your viewers somehow. So I think that 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 was seriously the best stimulus package, like half a billion dollar stimulus package you could possibly have asked for. It was it was incredible for what it did for our revenues. I think every billionaire should every four years have to run a campaign called Don't Cut My Head Off with the Guillotine. Um, <laughs> they pay for ad space. They do debates against because one of them's going to get it like one billionaire a year, you know. <laughs> Or more, I guess. I don't know. But, like, yeah, minimum one. It's like Survivor, but, like, for, for literal Survivor. Um, so Well, it won't be I, it won't I, be Tom Steyer I, this year. No, he, the man has no charisma. Dude, that guy is the worst. He has one tie. Like, it pulled well in a focus group, so that was the tie for the campaign. I think maybe he just owns one tie, because, like... People with billions of dollars, like, didn't get that way by splurging on lots of ties. He's like, I got a billion. Who am I trying to impress? I'm Tom fucking Steyer, right? <laughs> like, Honestly, I don't, I I don't need lots of ties it. to impress you. Look how Mark Zuckerberg dresses. I haven't looked into it, but Steyer really strikes me as, like, a 
lottery winner or something. Like he's not like any of the other billionaires I've ever seen, right? It it almost feels like how did you get to be a billionaire, dude? Like all billionaires are lottery winners. Don't let them fool you. Well, yeah, but I mean, like he. Oh, I'm Jeff I Bezos. Know. I invented the concept of what if books, but on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> he's a lottery winner. Yeah, that's, that's actually that's fair. Dude, so I don't know if you noticed this. I don't actually follow you on Twitter, Jason, but uh, I used to. <laughs> I used to follow you on Twitter, but and but then, it's not because it's not because of your political opinions. It's not that I don't like dislike your political opinions. I actually think that you're extremely well informed in politics, but it's just the frequency of your political discussions. It was uh, it was like a sort of like an invasive species in my timeline, so. That that's why I uh, eventually dropped the follow, but I, I really do appreciate your political takes. I think you're extremely well uh, versed in this area. So I I definitely follow you, and I love them. But Ian, this is such an awesome conversation because Ian sent me the message saying, "Hey, I'm going to ask Jason if he wants to come on the podcast," and he was so excited. He was so excited, but then he realized that he wasn't following you on Twitter, and it was like one of those <laughs> high school girl conversations about like. Like, we really like this boy. What should we do? And we decided that he can't, like, follow you back, like, right after. If he followed me, I would have noticed, right? Right. So that's. Right, exactly. But then he just brought it up that he doesn't follow you, so now you noticed anyway. So that was. Now he's negging me. See? Fuck, dude. He shot his shot, and now we're having the conversation. Now he's negging me, but like, oh, oh, Twitter? Oh, yeah, that's where I unfollowed you. I'm supposed to go, ooh. I can't score a point on this guy. (laughs) This is a... I know all the tricks. Come on now. I don't even know who the Blackhawks goalie is. I was about to drop a sick reference, and I just had nothing. Well, we just lost a goalie in in a trade where we got nothing in return. What's that? You had the kid from BC. You had a fucking, what's his name? Are you talking Corey Crawford? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's he's our guy. Oh, he's still the goalie? Oh, yeah. He's, oh, nice. He's been our guy since, like, 2011. Yeah, I, I thought I f- figured for sure he was gone by now. Just because he's 35 and has had three concussions does not mean he's not a number one starting goaltender for a team that considers itself a cup contender. Or at least did. No, yeah. he's uh, he's solid. I'm sure you're paying him a lot less than Lundqvist, so I'm sure you're doing all right. <laughs> we're so fucked with that Chesterkin is like incredible he's he's definitely the next goalie and we're just so fucked by Lundqvist like the Do- Dolan is not going to buy him out so I <sighs> he's a son of a bitch. he came ar- he came around at the wrong time like when you got a hot goalie and then the rest of the team is trash it's like what do you do then honestly I don't think Lundqvist was ever the best goalie I, like, I don't think he was, like, Jonathan Quick. Like, I, I watched a lot of Lundqvist. With Tortorella, we were playing defense, like, block shot defense. In front Tortorella of him. told the Sedins to block shots. Like, that's his yeah. thing. He's like, everybody blocks shots. The trainer, yeah, and so L- if someone's Lundqvist on the ice and you go out amazing. there, you block a shot. Exactly. And we had all-star players breaking their ankles all the time. But <laughs> that did help Lundqvist's numbers a lot. And got him into the, you know, greatest goalie of all time discussion or whatever. But I, I just, I don't know, watching him all the time, 
he was a very good goalie. He was a top five goalie, but I never felt like he was the best goalie in the league or anything. So well, do you think Anti Niemi was the best goalie of the league? Like so many, do you think Jordan Bennington's the best goalie in the league? So many good goalies just get hot at the right time. They, yeah, exactly. The team is just like he's going to face eleven shots a game tops, and they just elevate that goalie. So it's like, how long is the season? How credible is your backup? And I think when Quick was really good, he was really good, but like he fell off a lot. Ryan Miller fell off a lot. Like a lot of those guys that were hot for three or four years really just took a shit. Lundquist, I don't think he ever really fell off as hard as those other guys. No, he was always an amazing fundamental goalie. Like he, you know, he had like, his technique was flawless, but he wasn't like a, like a leader, like a captain. He didn't inspire the players. Like the, I don't know, when you, you watch like the locker room and everything, everybody talked about him with respect, but not with love, if that makes sense. I don't know how the fuck we got Maybe he's topic, a dick. You don't know. I think he, I think he is a dickhead, yeah. That's, that's my theory. And sometimes it's with, like, the language barrier, just, like, you can't even tell. I don't know. Some guys that, like, speak, like, ten words English are very lovable. Dude, I, I love uh, Mika Zabinijad. He's, he's, like, my favorite player ever. I don't even know if he knows this tenth word yet. <laughs> How are the Blackhawks doing, honestly? Um, if they win all of their games, they could make the playoffs. Okay. That's kind of what I thought from the Rangers beating them. But... Uh, the, the, is... Red, the Red Wings beat them. Wait, are you Red Wings or Blackhawks? Blackhawks. Okay. The, Re- the, the Red Wings beat the Blackhawks over the that's weekend. Brutal. So yeah. That's when you know your season's over. When the worst team in the NHL beats you two to one, you're like, "All right." They're Alex, the worst Alex DeBrinket couldn't but... score in his uh, in front of his parents in in Detroit. Okay, man, you did it. <laughs> you scored 41 goals last year, and you're on pace for 19 this year. You did it, man. <laughs> Tom it, has no idea what's going on right now. Yeah, I hockey. This could all get cut. I will talk about hockey for an hour. It's fine. No, this is this is not getting cut. But hockey is my my NASCAR, my sport that I absolutely know nothing about. That's weird because I think all nerds should be hockey fans. When I see nerds that are into like football and basketball, it's like who failed to hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you like a dumb jock sport? I don't get a nerd liking basketball. That's just so foreign to me. Some well, some nerds. Now listen, I think Corbin played college basketball, right? He played no. community college basketball. Okay, well, I played Division Three basketball, so it's close to community college. And, and both of us played football in high school. And then we started playing a ton of Magic and got fat. That's, uh, that's where our life is now. So we like to hold on to our youthful uh, whatever and remember the glory days. And I can't skate, so I can't watch hockey. I just I, wish I, I, I did yeah, super I in shape guy sports badly. I was the slowest guy on my soccer team and the slowest guy on my swim team, but like I was in insane shape because I played soccer and swam. So, um, I was I never did jock sports. I get I mean I played hockey until I was like fifteen, but I I don't know. Hockey's not a jock sport, right? It is in Canada. They're, they're like yeah. the football players of Canada, but down here it's like you might as well play lacrosse or something. It's it's weird. Dude, so I, I played football and wrestled, and I broke my collarbone and ended up swimming one year. 
Swimming was the hardest fucking sport. I, I'll take this to my grave. The hardest three months of my life were three months out on the swim team. And you you tell that to a wrestler because wrestling's yeah. no joke. Because you Everybody guys do that insane stuff the to cut. Sport. You do all that insane stuff to cut weight. You're just you're you're sweating buckets. You know practices are tough. You do a ton of you wrestling. You do everything. So to tell a wrestler like, nah, I think swimming's tougher. That's insane to them and. It's good that you play. You did both, you know. Wrestling's yeah, no reason, joke, man. The reason my Twitter name is Ian eighteen one twenty five is because I made it a long time ago and I wrestled at one twenty five weight class and I'm now two hundred ten pounds. So I was cutting serious weight. Like wrestling was a serious fucking thing, and everybody said it was the hardest sport at the school, but it didn't hold a fucking candle to swimming. Swimming was a fucking nightmare. It was absolutely the hardest thing I ever did. So I have a lot of respect for swimmers. And you don't realize how much you're sweating because you're just in the pool the whole time. Yep. On Fridays, we would have, like, fun practice, quote-unquote, fun. The last half hour of practice, we played water polo. And I was getting fucking dunked underwater, almost drowned, <laughs> within, within inches of my life by freshman girls, dude. These fucking <laughs> girls that have been swimming. You can't get a ton of leverage thrown, but I don't know, man. Polo's, uh, polo's rough. A lot of it, it, a lot of bows thrown around, a lot of concussions really in water polo. I've never been in war, so this is going to be a stupid, ignorant fucking. I'm not even going to make this point. Never mind. No, <laughs> no, you have to make it now. You can't bring it up and drop it. I feel like everybody knows what I was about to say, right? <laughs> Who's had more TBIs, a combat veteran or a water polo player? Is that what you were going for? Like, you know, you're you're riding with Alexander, he's your boy, you know, you're hanging out with your, your bros, just like all of a sudden there's there's the there's the Hans, you gotta fight, you know. That's how I felt when they blow the whistle for water polo. Like, it's a fucking war. And you don't know if you're gonna survive. You don't Those know if you're gonna survive. War reference or a Mulan reference? I don't know what Mulan is, so Oh, that's uh, uh that's the new movie starring Jimmy Wong coming out soon. No, I'm. I he yeah. He's playing like an amalgam of three characters from the the animated Disney movie. But like, yeah, he's got some screen time. That's wait. It's a cartoon though, right? It was a cartoon. They're doing live adaptations of all their Disney cartoons. They did Aladdin oh. and Beauty and the Beast, and now Mulan's next. And then who knows? Maybe they'll do Pocahontas. I didn't like, realize the IP on Mulan was about to expire. Well, it's Disney doing it. It's not like, it's not like, uh, you know, public uh, domain or anything. It's just Disney being like, "Hey, we would love to make more money." Right. No. I, what I heard was that they were cranking out these, these like live things, to keep their, uh, their ownership of the IP for the next. Because no, Mickey Mouse, longer, the character from the nineteen thirties, is not public domain yet. So like they're. Disney, more than anybody else on the planet, knows how to to refresh their IP. And I don't I don't think a movie from the 90s starring Eddie Murphy as a talking dragon was... I don't think they had to refresh it that soon. You never know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a Disney lawyer. I dropped out of law school. I don't know anything, man. Did you really? Yeah. Cheers, man. Me too. Oh, yeah. I made it a year and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I got what happened was I purchased the study guide for the um the IP bar and I was yep. like, "Oh no, I don't know." Fucking are you serious, dude? Me too. Yeah, cuz I This is crazy. I, I was a chem undergrad 
So I was like, I'll go to law school, I'll be an IP lawyer, I'll make 250 bucks an hour talking on the phone, it'll be awesome. Yeah. And then I was like, what is the IP bar entail? I was like, this is chemistry, I don't know. And I don't like the law, so I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I wasted so much money on a year of law school. You weren't at Kent or Illinois Institute of Technology, were you? <laughs> no, I'm not you exactly. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> well, I just realized that you lived I'm in the Tyler area. Durden. No, I went to Michigan State. It was great. And I went to Michigan oh, State nice. for law school, which you're not supposed to do that, but they like accepted me anyway. Yeah. The reason I asked is because those were two of the only 39 IP programs in the country. So when, yeah. I, when I was looking at it, I got into those two schools and then I just never showed up for the first day. Oh, so you, you dropped out even earlier. I was, I was making like a lot of money coding. I was a poli-sci major, but I just like could code. So I just started coding and I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I going back to school? I'm just going to keep making money. And uh, I never did it. So, well, it worked out for both of you guys. My little brother is a public defender in Kentucky and uh, I'm sure you both are doing much, much better than he is salary-wise with much, much less student loan debt. Why is I'm... he doing that? Wait, what? Why is he doing that? Is he just like a good person or something? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know why he's specifically doing that, but I think why he's Kentucky? probably doing it for student loan forgiveness. Oh, that's that's a thing until Betsy DeVos makes it not a thing. But yeah, my wife works in um, public health and like two more years and all her loans are wiped out. So we're like sending them letters every year like, look at all these kids we got. And my husband doesn't work that much. So like lower my payment so she can keep making the, the minimum payment and then it'll be wiped out in two years. But yep, my my wife just had her. Uh, income-based repayment tick up her payments quite a bit and that was not fun to deal with for sure we got a second kid so they go they went back down it's been oh nice but i mean Uh, depending on what happens in november if um if betsy devos gets another four years at it uh that that kind of stuff is gone for sure so how awful would that be to work at a job for like nine years with the idea that the reason why you're taking a pay cut to do that is for your student loans to go away and then I shouldn't be laughing at this. This could be anybody. And then this, could be, this, this, could, be yeah, this could be both of us. This could be both of us. My wife is also on year eight. Oh wow! And that's mad. Oh wow! That's big. Yeah. That's we're talking about. Bucks. We're talking about high six figures. Yeah. Like difference that it would make. So if you if you want to support us. After these programs are cut and we will have to get a second or third job and won't be able to continue podcasting, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dead format. I forgot we had a Patreon anymore. We haven't yeah. plugged that in a long so time. So did your patrons. <laughs> I, I honestly kind of thought I was on this episode just to plug your Patreon for you. Oh, do, how now how would you do it? Because really we like... Our, my idea of pitching the Patreon is just to like bring it up at the most sad, inopportune time so our listeners feel bad into giving us a dollar a month. It's like the song with the animals that comes on when you're like, no, I need to change this channel. In the arms yes. of a patron, that away it's, from here. That's, that's, how, that's how we do our Patreon. We try, to, we try to get an emotional connection 
to our listeners so they give us a dollar. Please give us a dollar. How can we improve? For the cost of one Starbucks venti frappuccino, you could give this podcast $5 a month, which is $1 or $1.25 an episode. For that $5, you could have access to, I don't know, I assume you guys have a Discord? Maybe some stickers? Look, I'm not well-versed in the Patreon perks, but what I do know is that these two gentlemen are talking about a dead format. And when you have a dead format, you have to mourn that format, and that is not free. It takes money to mourn a dead format. Go to patreon.com slash the dead format. Give. Dig deep. For the cost of that unmasculine venti frappuccino that you drink on the way to the LGS and then ditch the cup underneath your seat so nobody sees you drinking it, you could contribute to a podcast that has given you so much. Discussions about who's the best goalie in the NHL. Whether you should hoard toilet paper. What is a squatty potty? You can't get these discussions anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash the dead format. Give. It's tax deductible. Tis the season. <laughs> That's awesome. We did it. Very nice, man. That's my no sole contribution to Brainstorm Brewery. I go go to patreon.com slash brainstorm brewery for as little as a dollar a month, which is 20 or 25 cents an episode. You could have access to our Discord, and you could tell us what you really think of us live bro so i was watching your episodes today on on youtube like you had the video episodes mm-hmm. and uh last time i was watching on uh, youtube doug was like this like 20 year old like thin little kid mm-hmm. and now he looks like one of us oh is he porking up a little yeah dude he he looked like i was like who is that and it's he started talking because he, he works for 95 which means he does probably 30 gps a year and you just Ooh. you can't eat you can't eat well yeah so you he's, have a, to he's a real gamer now yeah i don't know how his metabolism was he he reminded me of like an anime character he sits on his chair weird and <laughs> <laughs> he's like the guy trying to catch light in death note that's what he reminded me of the way he would just sit up on his chair like an anime <laughs> character I'm like, well, that guy eats constantly, but his brain burns so many calories, and I don't think he uses his brain anymore because he works for 95, and he's just like, I buy cards. Yeah. He dropped out of school. He's a good buyer, though. I I always go to him. I always go to him, too, and uh, maybe I shouldn't. I think he's he's fair. I think he would like to get me specifically. I'm sure he will deal with you fairly. I think it would give him some sadistic pleasure to get me specifically because I taught him everything he knows. And I, so maybe I, maybe I shouldn't go to him, but you know what? I, I do enjoy selling to 95. That's a, I'm not sponsored by 95. They've never given me any money. They've never offered to pay me to sell their cards, even in Detroit where they knew I would be. Um, but that's okay because I feel like 95 has a business model where they, a arbitrage, and B, um, make their sales on volume. They're not trying to do margins. They're trying to do volume, which means they will pay the most and sell for the least and just get the highest turnover. But when you do, pay they, the most do in, they have their own credit lines they're extending to customers? Um, oh, and I, and that's should something they that. should probably look into because like, if you ever wanted to have everybody who was repping your brand for like six months <laughs> on Twitter just like distance themselves, that's one way to do it. Oh. 
Dude, I was listening to uh, an episode of Money Draft today to get ready for this podcast. Episode 72, I think. And uh, you guys were talking about the negativity. I think JR, honestly, was talking about the negativity on Twitter. Like, MTG Twitter. The the sort of, like, negative takes that, that everybody highlights. And... It's only gotten worse since then, man. That was two years ago that that episode came out. It was four episodes ago, so you count back six months an episode, right? Two years ago? Easily, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it feels like it's only gotten worse, right? Like, I feel like MTG Twitter is honestly uh, one of the worst parts about playing this game at this point, right? Um, I, I engage with a specific part of mtg twitter mm-hmm. and um i tend to block a lot of negative people i will block people for zero provocation and okay um, that's just how i get down um so i think i've curated it to an extent but i also feel like i don't like everybody i do interact with so i don't really know what to do i think it's just inherent to gaming and not magic I think yeah. it's inherent to Twitter, maybe, because yes. it seems like, I don't, nobody likes when you go to Twitter when you're happy. Like, I said, fuck guns, and it got 500 likes. 500, but, like, anytime I'm like, ah, here's the thing I did, two likes. No one, no one cares when you create. And I think the people that recognize that very early have decimal points in the number of their Twitter followers. And they just, like, criticize every decision Wizards makes and, like... It's real easy to do that. You know, you're right, not contributing so our, anything. So that's our new Twitter marketing strategy. Thank you. I know that you're not trying to lead us in that direction, but it's, we finally figured it out. You know who exactly who I'm talking about, and you just copy their tweet format and you did it. <laughs> you got there. So uh, that's what people encourage. Everybody says they don't want that, but they all encourage it. They don't encourage any positivity whatsoever. And I think that's just... I don't know if it's negativity as much as snark. I think people really overvalue snark. Because that is a very easy-to-consume form of humor. Because when you're snarky, you are always inherently punching up. So nobody has to feel bad. They don't have to do the calculus. Like, is this mean? Is this ableist? It's just, oh, snark always takes down someone in power. And that could be the company that works hard to make the game you enjoy. But you're punching up at Wizards. And Wizards as a, a an entity can't really do anything about that except just kind of ignore it. So you can be as snarky as you want. And like... People aren't even really experiencing professional consequences from being snarky about wizards. So it's just real easy to do that. And I try not to fall into that trap. And like lately, I've been a little snarky towards wizards just because I'm a little bit fed up. I kind of got to that point where I'm like, all your decisions are bad and they seem personal. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if that's just like, that's so narcissistic to be like, oh, you're going to ruin my day today. Is that what we're going to do? I just, it's it's gotten to the point where some of their stuff's just indefensible and, like, they should know better. 
So you're not a fan of five commander decks per set now? I I think the worst decision they made in the last five years was printing Arcane Signet. As an EDH player, when they printed Arcane Signet, that was like, all right, this is how it's going to be. You're not an EDH podcast. I get that. If anyone is is still listening, I know you guys have ten listeners. If even there, five of them are, we have are, we have we have six that made it up until this point. Yeah, that's a good retention rate. Don't hey, listen. I'm going to talk about EDH. Don't switch it off. This I will bring it back around. This will apply to you. I swear. They just sent a signal that they're like, oh, we understand EDH is the format people care about, and we're just going to beat it in the dome with a stick. But also, we don't care about it. Because the two things they did where they were like, 2020 is the year of Commander. And everyone heard that, and they went, oh. And then they're like, 2019 is the year where we try to foist Brawl on you so hard that we don't care what it does to EDH. So if you go on EDH rec, three of the four brawl commanders are in the top 10 commanders of the week. Still all these months later, because they're just so obvious and easy to build like Chulain. It's like, oh, you just draw cards every time you do what your deck does. You just are rewarded for playing Bant by drawing cards every time you do a thing like the same thing with Corvald. Every time you sack something, you draw a card. That's insane. So they just printed these cards that like well brawl is played with standard cards so the commanders have to be better to compensate and we don't care what that does to edh arcane signet made about 10 15 mana rocks completely obsolete overnight that's why i hate arcane signet so much because that was their signal it's like look if we want to do a thing we do not care what it does to edh we you know we say we care about edh but we don't care what it does to edh so as a as a legacy podcast, you guys have to be kind of a little bit worried because like anytime they try to do something exciting, they'll print a card that like ruins legacy. Like what was Underworld Breach? Like that card that card was a I was like, okay, that's Yogg's Will, right? But like easier to cast? Like it's got kind of a drawback, but it, I've played Legacy. Anytime I've gone off with Yogg's Will, I had enough cards that I could have gone off with the Underworld Breach also, right? So, um, it, it just seems kind of like, well, we want to make standard exciting and we don't care what it does to other stuff. So arcane signet to me is, is emblematic of them feeling like they are insulated for the far reaching consequences of their narrow mind or their um, short sighted decisions. I think so. I think it's extremely well put. Yeah. I mean, because Breach is a messed up card and everybody knew Breach was messed up. Like from when they printed Breach, I'm like, this is messed up. I got a little flack on the episode because I don't think any because everyone's like, oh, you scrap two cards every time you play a thing. This isn't this is no or um, uh, past the flame away. Yeah, past the flames. But I don't know, man, it's it's super easy to cast. And like it, it turns out LED is still legal in Legacy. So. So when I was listening to this episode you guys had recently, Doug was saying something about being unable to believe that he sold 30 brain freezes when when Breach came out or the Breach deck did well or something. And that's sort of like a, a point that I guess we can quickly touch on since we're talking about EDH is 
I understand that there are more EDH players than Legacy by a by a huge margin. Like we we did uh, this like Google Trends deep dive a while back when we were doing like our decade wrap, and EDH is just it's so clearly the player acquisition tool at this point that it's not even worth discussing. Like it it just every time they release Commander decks, it just grew and stayed at that level. Like just new plateau every time. So obviously they're growing a ton of players, but. Do you remember when Leovald was was a card, and it was apparently very good in EDH? No, when Leovald was, it was they they banned it, but like it wasn't that great in EDH. Not the way so it, like in vintage, like immediately ever. I mean, legacy to an extent, but vintage, everyone just changed the moxin they had. Yeah. To have an emerald. No one cared about emerald until they printed Leovold. That's a little hyperbolic, but like not that much. No, yeah, you're right. Leovold make people want to buy a Mox Emerald. Like that that card was absurd and it was okay in EDH. Like I'm glad they banned it, but like uh, it would be no more annoying to play against than any other um like bug commander okay so that's the truth then that that leovold really wasn't that good it was just annoying i i i think so personally personally i i think i i think they i think it was correct probably to get rid of it but at the same time like is it generating more card advantage than moldrotha i don't know i think around the same time that that leovold got printed that was like the tiny leaders boom too. I'm sure that you all remember that. There was probably yeah. a little bit more pressure. It made a lot of money. Was playing that on selling cards that never got put into decks. Yeah. 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 No, that that is true. But I think that uh, you kind of deflected this argument really well. This is a nice uh, deflecting bomb, Jason. Because what I was going to say was when Leovold got banned in Commander, the price didn't drop at all. And that has always sort of been my go-to argument for people underestimating the effect of vintage and legacy on card prices. But, I mean, we understand that vintage and legacy affects Japanese foils, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, like Sidemaster Thopterus is never going to get to $20 because it's played in vintage. But like, if you got a Japanese or Russian foil of Sidemaster Thopterus, forget about it. You know, there's yeah. just not enough people... And look, I love Legacy. It's a format where Night of the Reliquary is playable. How good is that? You know? My favorite Legacy deck of all time is Sam Black's Zombardment deck. Yeah. You get to do... You get to play Goblin Bombardment in a non-infinite combo deck. It's amazing. I just love... I love that every point of damage matters. Like, cracking a fetch land actually matters. When you play Moderns, like, I'll... <laughs> I'll crack a fetch land. I'll go get a shock land. I'll go to 50. I'll thought season. Like it doesn't matter. But in legacy, it's like, ah, do I, do I dare use this fetch land? Uh, every point of damage matters in legacy. And that's why I love it so much. It's a hundred percent completely. It's, you know, 180 degrees from the, the, the EDH I play, but they're just, unfortunately aren't enough people playing it to make like a regular non, mythic non-foil just core set card 
like go up that much. So like the premium versions, cause like if you're playing legacy and vintage, yeah, you're going to, you know, you got all your, you, you got all your polluted deltas in 2007 and you got them all altered or signed or they're all, you know, Russian foil or whatever. Because that's your, you're going to pollute a Delta forever because they're never going to print a better card than polluted Delta for that spot. So you know what, you know, you're going to have that card forever. So that encourages people to get the, their favorite version, whether it's a Klug Alter or like a, you know, a crazy Ford foil or signed, you know, or the, the artist did a doodle on it or whatever. It encourages that kind of thing. So like a non premium version of it just there's just not enough demand i don't think so even something like um like leovold i just i i I don't think there are enough people playing those other formats to to really juice the price too much unfortunately you know how do you feel about like the growth of edh going forward i wish they would ignore it because EDH was good because they weren't designing cards for it. If they're, you were to design very similar, very similar viewpoints for Legacy. If as well. yeah, it, if you want to make fifty cards a year, fine, we'll deal with that. But like more than that, and stuff that affects EDH, that like the brawl decks were the worst thing that's ever happened to EDH. Like absolutely, like you're your failure to make brawl compelling isn't EDH's fault, but it just became EDH's problem. And I don't like that. And yeah, well, it does kind of feel like they're piggybacking every product onto EDH's success, right? Because someone at Hasbro's, you know, found out that EDH was their most popular format. They did that, that player survey where they're like, what formats do you play in? Like everybody who's ever touched a magic card said they have at least some familiarity with EDH. So they, determined that was the the format so they decided they're just gonna get all our money in 2020 the year of edh the year commander they're calling it i'm i I may be the only one who still says edh i don't care i'll die on that hill what's the difference is it just like corporate uh the edh means elder dragon highlander and they don't want to be sued by focus pictures or whoever has the rights to the highlander movies like for legal reasons they called it command seriously that's 100 percent what it was for legal reasons they call it commander that's that's amazing i had no idea i guess they don't want christopher lambert showing up in their office and cutting someone's head off with a katana (laughs) you've been served legal papers i can't do a christopher lambert voice i don't know but or who is adrian paul the guy from the, the tv show in usa I've seen way more of that. I have every episode of that show on DVD. I like the TV show more than the movies, for sure. I mean, especially the second movie. That was what was going on there. Yeah, I only have one TV show on DVD, and it's The State from MTV. Was that wow. the sketch comedy show? Yeah, yeah but the... it was It was like the eighth best sketch comedy show from that era. It wasn't Kids in the Hall. It wasn't. It was like it was like well, it was like Mister Show, UCB, Kids in the Hall, and then like below Mad TV is the state. <laughs> the state, no, it's come like, on, the state was better than that. It's like half the cast of Reno Nine One One, and then like yep. Ken Marino. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm very familiar good. with the state. It was just was it was okay. 
The problem is the DVDs, they didn't have MTV's license on the music anymore. So the, the <laughs> background music is gone. So That's it's just, amazing. Yeah. Like the scene where Mike Lee in black has his toothbrush and Alice in Chains is playing in the background. It's just nonsense now because there's no <laughs> Alice in Chains play. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just him spinning around in a field with his toothbrush for 30 seconds and no music. <laughs> Makes no sense. It made a lot of sense with the music. All I remember yeah. from the state was Ken Marino saying he was going to dip his balls in it. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> how, do, how are you not a state respecter, man? I thought that that would hit for sure. It's just there was... See, I was, I was of the opinion at the time... That Upright Citizens Brigade was the best sketch comedy show. Because I, I kind of thought Mr. Show was a little overrated, and I thought UCB was underrated. Okay. And, like, everybody from UCB has gone on to be so unfunny that it's really... Yeah, I, I hated UCB. <laughs> but, like, the show was so good, but now it's like, okay, Matt Besser is just, like, angrily tweeting at friends of mine who make fun of improv. <laughs> in the Chica- like, I'm friends with a Chicago comic who, like wrote a, a piece on new year's about how there will never be a profound improv set and that's why stand-up is superior just farted it out for 200 bucks and like besser went so hard on him and it was just so funny to see like my friend who had no idea who's being shit on because he didn't even get tagged in it <laughs> he didn't oh even tag no him. He, he just fucking screenshotted him and I, I told him about it, and he just thought the whole thing was funny because he's, you know, like 10 years older than Besser or whatever. Like, he's like, my career is what it is. I don't care. So I just thought wow. that was, uh, yeah, the whole thing is just, I mean, who did anything? Amy Poehler, you know? Yeah. And everybody else is just sort of like, well, if Will Ferrell makes a movie, I'll play the referee or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, so I was trying to explain to my wife who you were before we started recording tonight. And uh, you don't have any shit on YouTube anymore. Is that intentional? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't like having my stand-up on YouTube. Okay. Because, like, nobody recorded me and put me on YouTube after, like, my first three months of comedy. So, like, everything that's up there is, like, the first ten minutes I ever wrote. And, like, it's embarrassing. I don't like having that stuff up. You okay. Know? I so, see. I guess I have a false memory then, because I thought that at one point there was like a, a good set that I watched on YouTube. Well, my first couple sets were good because I should have started stand up when I was twenty and not thirty. So okay. like, a, I was good starting out because I waited too long and I was like, I'm not gonna bomb. I was so afraid of bombing that like, I made sure I had decent material. But when you're not doing stand up, you don't know how to write stand up, so it like would take me three years to think of a joke that actually worked until I was sure that would work. I should have just started in my twenties. Cause as much yeah. as I should on improv, I was doing improv in college. And when you do improv in college, they just have you open for standups because they're like, well, this was like 2005. Nobody was doing standup. There was no scene to support it right. on a college campus. Like there was the club. And they had like one open mic night a week, so like nobody said they were a stand-up. So when um, Daniel Tosh came to MSU, it's like, well, we're gonna have the improv troupe open for him. So like we opened for Dustin Diamond and Daniel Tosh and um, uh, a couple other 
a couple, a couple other stand-ups. I, I can't think of the names right now. It, it was that formative, right? Like it was that important to shake hands with Daniel Tosh for <laughs> 30 seconds and be like, where are the improv troop? He's like, cool improv. Cause a Daniel Tosh is a dick and B improv sucks. So like, he didn't want to meet us. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have met us. So <laughs> then I just, I did improv and I was like, this is comedy. And then I was shit at improv. Cause I kept trying to make jokes and then you're not improv. Isn't supposed to be funny. Improv is supposed to be wacky and wacky is different from funny. You shouldn't make a joke. You should just say something absurd. So I was so bad at yeah. improv and I was like, I must not be funny if I can't do this bullshit format. And then like, finally, when I was 30, my friend at work was like, my friend, does comedy and you're funnier than him. So you should probably try it. And then I just tried it and I was like, Oh, this is fine. I, I don't know why I was afraid of this. So like as much as everyone's like, it's cool that you do stand up. I was like, I was afraid of it for 10 years and should not have been. I'm an idiot. I'm not an inspiration. And now I'm 35 with two kids. And like, it's hard to do comedy. Now I should have done this in my twenties. I wouldn't have gotten married. I wouldn't have had yeah. kids. I'd live in LA right now. My life would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I messed up. No, it's fine. I I like the way things turned out. What's the ghostwriter scene like? Like I write probably like one amazing joke a week, but I'm never gonna do stand up. Like I, I'm a terrible public speaker. I just I don't have good timing. Like I'm not a comedian, but I do think of good jokes on my commute to work. Um, I think. <laughs> no, seriously, I have like a, a fucking huge notepad full of them can we get can we get one because this is something no. that's new to me and the listeners yeah have you ever been funny on this podcast before or is this gonna like <laughs> is this gonna blow all the list this is like, a what? new this is a new side of ian See, usually I don't, he's just I don't, dog whistling for an hour and a half he's gonna he's gonna wish he hadn't said this because you put him on the spot and he's gonna look at his notebook and start sweating and be like because uh, you don't know what's good you have no idea so now you're going to wish you hadn't said anything. Yeah. Am I right? Because he's put you on the spot. He's asked you to read one to someone who does comedy for money now. And I'm going to try to be polite because I'm a guest on your podcast. But at the same time, I'm not going to encourage you necessarily. But I don't think you should be encouraged. So now you're on the spot and it's all your fault. I'm just cycling through jokes. I didn't even hear that. No, I know. I was just buying you time for sure. I appreciate that, man. All of these would get me canceled, 100%. Well, that's... I think stuff like that maybe is, is sometimes pretty easy. But not always. I, and, and I think people overestimate what will get you canceled. We don't have to... Yeah. I'll give you my honest feedback either way. Um, But the, honestly, thank you for coming on. And Ian, have you found anything that isn't ridiculously awful? No, I found some awful things and I found a lot of deck lists because I don't have them in separate folders. How do you write deck lists on your way to work? No, I, I write them when I get to work like because oh, okay. I'm thinking about them in the car. So somebody that wrote jokes is uh, Anthony Jeselnik. So he basically afforded to live in New York by submitting jokes to Leno and like he got paid $5 per joke or something like that, whether they were used or not. So it's a terrible rate. If you pay Jay Leno a joke and he puts it on the air to get paid $5, but like 
to send him 10 jokes he doesn't use and get 50 bucks is great, right? So um, if you did want to write in that format, I think having a packet to submit to to the only people who are doing jokes like that anymore, that might be a thing. Okay. Um, there are still people doing radio shows in the morning that have jokes and stuff like that. So like having examples of your work to submit, there are guides online for like Google, like late night packet or something like that. Like there's, there's okay. definitely ways to write jokes for other people, but I don't think standups are going to buy your jokes per se, because standup isn't really jokes anymore as much as it is character work almost like you have a persona and you are writing from your pov so it's hard to just do jokes so there's not like a lot of value to that but if you did build that muscle a little more i think submitting to either morning radio or late night might be an option even if they never use one of your jokes you do sometimes get paid a little dude i really appreciate that i had no idea i i that's awesome. I would have never guessed that. I would have figured that like everybody had their ghostwriter, like the rap game or something. Not really, because I think things sound a little inauthentic or they sound like a street joke. Like Sometimes you will write something that sounds like a street joke just because it's so generic. And I think that's why people tend to write more from their POV these days, because it just... All you have in stand-up is is your originality like the way that you deliver the joke barely matter is a formality it's not the performance of it that's why a musician can cover a song because they're like well here's my interpretation of that song you know but in stand-up right. your delivery of someone else's material doesn't really change it it's the idea it's the observation it's the twist you know stand-up's is like a magic trick there's a prestige and there's a, you know, there's a, a turn. It's really, it, yeah. You know, a, a good joke has, has a left turn, has like, you know, a misdirection. Right. But the voice matters Ian, Ian too, is right? all right. No left turns for him. It's <laughs> uh, NASCAR, baby. No left turns. Um, uh, Your voice does matter like to an extent, but like that's, but how you deliver a joke matters a little bit less than like it being authentic and seeming authentic from that POV. Does that make sense? Like your voice matters yeah. because like you have to buy that I'm saying this, but like the way you say it doesn't matter. That's gotcha. why like you don't have cover jokes. You just have your own original stuff. So it's, it's hard to write for someone else unless you know them really well. Unless you're Carlos Mencia, right? Or unless you're doing something like generic, like for a roast, where people just like do roast jokes are real generic. And roast battling is another thing that's getting really big right now. And that's yeah, if you can write in that format, because it's so funny that like roast battling is like the pinnacle of comedy right now. But it like at its core, a roast joke is a pun, which I love because we've gone all full circle where like the the best possible roast joke is just a dumb pun. Bro, did you ever see Ann Coulter roast Rob Lowe? 
I mean, she she pitched her book. What was good about that was everybody taking a dump on Ann Coulter when she sat on the dais. Like, she well, knew she happened, made a mistake yes. going there. But when she got up, it was just, it was whatever. She, so did you did you see the edited version for TV? I've seen both. Okay, all right, just checking. Why do you ask? Because I saw that today, and I was just thinking about oh, okay. it. okay. Because I saw the edited version, like, whenever that was, a year ago. Because everything that Nikki Glazer said was fine as a roast joke, but everybody remembers that she called Jewel Trailer Swift. Yeah. <laughs> That's all in, in Trailer Swift is like the best roast joke, but it's a yeah. stupid pun. It's wordplay, you know? And I love that the most memorable roast jokes are just, you know, some somebody called me Gay Fieri at a roast. That's pretty fucking good. That's I still can't, good. when I'm envisioning you in my mind, I can't shake uh, Flavortown. It's, and, it's there but you know what you know what what precipitated that i didn't think i looked like guy fieri until somebody did that photoshop it's like here's guy fieri with normal hair oh. like we took his face and here's him with normal hair and i'm like oh no that's my face <laughs> so then i knew if i fieri it up i'd probably look like him and sure enough geez so yeah that's when that happened it's just a well, gay fieri is just a dumb lazy pun but it's like yeah. is but saying you look like guy fieri that's kind of funny, but for whatever reason, gay fieri just it's because like it's not making fun of gay people. It's not even really implying that I'm gay. It's just making a dumb pun. Like if his name wasn't Guy, if it was something else, and they'd said something else that sounds kind of like whatever his first name was, it would be just as funny. So I think some people don't really get why roast jokes work. Because, like, calling me gay fieri is not homophobic, you know? It's not implying I'm gay. It's not implying gay people suck. It's not implying Guy Fieri's gay. It's just, like, literally punning on the fact that the word gay sounds like the word guy. Like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than, like, at its core, it's so dumb. The best roast jokes are, like, the least mean. I don't even, I don't even know how it works. But like anything that's like has has like a little bit of a double meaning, just destroys. I yeah. um there was a a, a a a comic locally asked to be roasted for her birthday, and her sister was on Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition, and I said your sister lost two hundred pounds on Extreme Makeover, and somehow you're still the biggest loser in your family. <laughs> that's a great roast joke but like it's just a stupid pun about the fact that there's a weight loss show called the biggest loser it's you know that's awesome man. that's so if you could write in that style you know people who aren't on the roast contribute because i know i uh, i know somebody that did really well on roast battle and is like is tight with jeff ross now and she got invited to contribute to the was it the rob Lowe roast that caitlin jenner was on i, I think it was Maybe, which, but i didn't see it whichever roast recently that caitlin jenner was on um yeah they um they told she told me all about submitting and caitlin jenner at the last minute was like no car crash jokes and everyone was like fuck i got nothing for caitlin <laughs> jenner now 
Because what can you say about Caitlyn Jenner other than she's brave and she killed a guy, right? Yeah. So um, they all scrambled at the last minute. So that's why every joke about Caitlyn Jenner on that roast was super nice because no one's going to say anything mean about her. Because what can you say about something, somebody that was like right. uh, one of the world's best athletes and then was like the only sympathetic character on a reality show and then someone who was one of the most famous people ever to transition. Like, what can you say about her other than she killed a guy? So they all had to scramble at the last minute. No one had anything for her. So everybody was super nice to her at the roast. And that's why. And uh, I just, I thought that was real interesting. There people who don't perform on those still write jokes for those comics. Cause as much as, Given an infinite amount of prep time, any comic who is worthy of being on that dais could write enough material to destroy. But if you have an infinite number of monkeys and an infinite number of typewriters, you're going to get a real good five minutes within a week versus beating your head against the wall. Like every time I do a roast battle, I have one really good one, but I don't have five really good ones. And if you had five comics, you would have five really good ones. Fuck, man, this is such a black pill. Honestly, I thought I was like a good joke writer, and now now that you're like laying it all out and explaining how this all goes, I realize I'm pretty mediocre. But I I don't even I don't even know that much. Like I'm barely above open mic level, so like I'm I'm not telling you any secrets. I'm just like, well, this no. Is... But you you've actually done like the the reasonable legwork to like understand this stuff. I am at the level where I can MC regionally and feature locally. I'm not like headlining nationally. I'm not doing anything nationally. Right. Yeah. So like you work your way up, like I can MC nationally feature regionally headline locally. And that's where I'll be in a couple years if I keep at it. So, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not shit at comedy, you know, I'm, I'm nobody, but at the same time, I've, I've done it enough to, to have learned some stuff. No, you've got great delivery, man. I, I feel like, uh, I still have, like, I've seen you on, on YouTube now, like your, uh, brainstorm brewery stuff and that huh. set I saw, but it, like, I heard your voice for so long before I saw you that I still have this picture of you as like this more jolly endomorphic character. So, like, I always think that you're fatter than you are. Like, even, like, just right now talking to you. I am. This dude's, like, 600 pounds, but. I am fatter than I am. I know you're not 600 pounds, though. So, like, (laughs) I feel like getting really fat might be good for your career. If I wanted my career to end in, like, four years? Because, like, how long did Ralphie May live? Like, you're next, Fluffy. Like, get it together. John Panette died early, man. Everybody that's like, I'm jolly. And then they, they just die. And I don't know if it's better to like yo-yo, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like people that lose a lot of weight, like Jonah Hill is like, I can lose weight. And everyone's like, we want you fat again. We're not going to hire you. And he's like, put it back on. Yep. Yep. (sighs) Damn. Bro, this has been hella informative. None of this is usable. You did not get a whole episode out of me. I don't oh, know what you're going to cobble together. Magical, magical editing. No, honestly, bro, this was great. I, I think, uh, honestly, I, I said this in our podcast, but I know you didn't hear it, but Money Draft was was the podcast that made me want a podcast. So this was, uh, you know, 
I said it to Tom earlier, but like this was a, uh, you know, we've all had that experience. Like I, I was, I was a good looking guy. I was reasonably popular in high school, but you know, like that one time, the hottest girl in school, like everybody's on vacation or something. She's like, Hey, we should hang out this night. And you hang out with her and you're just like awkward for a while because like you're, you're out of your league or whatever. Yeah, but then you unfollow her on Twitter just to get a little bit of confidence. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair. Fair. Outstanding. I, I had a blast. I can't wait to, to go back and listen to this. Yeah, this is way more fun than recording Brainstorm Brewery, um, which I have to do later. You know, if I were just on a cast with my peers and I would just be, you know, I'd be average. I wouldn't stand out like I do on Brainstorm Brewery where... The other two guys cannot riff. You're right. You're right. Bro, I'm surprised you didn't make an 88 joke. Um, <laughs> when I realized you were coming on this episode, I was like, oh my god, episode 88. <laughs> see Osler 88. We're going to hear about this. Did you guys see that? So Corbin was born in 1988. So, his, <laughs> so when he went to college, his student ID login was see Hosler 88. So that's yeah. just like what he used for social media, right? <laughs> so everyone's like, are you a neo-Nazi? And he's like, what? He's like, well, H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. So people say 88, Heil Hitler. And he's like, oh, no. So he tried to find C. Hostler. And this dude <laughs> tweeted like 11 years ago, five <laughs> times, like, going to have lunch now. And then didn't tweet anything for 10 years. He has C. Hostler, and Corbin was trying to get it, and we were all making fun of, like, we were all just t- tagging that account, and then the guy comes back, he's like, I'm back now, and he just started <laughs> tweeting again. <laughs> like, instead of being like, oh, I'll give up this account to Corbin, he's like, oh, I, you guys have got me reinvigorated because I got an email <laughs> notification saying that my Twitter account had... Because I use it so infrequently, I didn't turn off the push notifications that they had in 2010 or whatever. Oh my god! So this guy just started tweeting again. So Corbin's like, got this Nazi suspicious Twitter account just because he was innocently born in 1988 and didn't didn't know the ins and outs of like Nazi code. <laughs> that I I don't think I've ever laughed so hard as as that fucking episode when you called him out for that. <laughs> But, like, nobody knows, like, the band 311 who formed in Omaha in, like, 1997 couldn't have been, like, people like, oh, well, K is the 11th letter of the alphabet. Three Ks. Are you guys in the clan? They're like, what? No, we make lame rap metal for white boys. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, like, I'm, Ian and I were just about, about to tell you that our first concert was 311. I yeah. like 311, but like 311 sucks. Like you gotta admit, even if you like 311 a lot, like I do, they suck, right? <laughs> like they are pretty bad, yeah. Like their songs are good, but you should be embarrassed to like them. They don't, they don't suck. They are talented musicians, but the songs they make are embarrassing to like. Tom, I meant to tell you last episode, but we we got carried away. My first baseball game was also a Mets game at Shea Stadium in 1988. What this is like eighty eight crazy connection. Yeah, isn't that fucking crazy, dude? That that scared the shit out of me. 
when you said that. But then Bryant, like, you know, Brian was Mike Hagen for sure last episode. So, oh, oh he was at, he that was sucks out to have someone come on your cast and just like just monopolize the mic the whole time. <laughs> it's like, show some decor. You're a guest. Some people, man. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Bro, we don't want to hold you up. You got you got more important things to do. You got you got commas in your future. <laughs> you got you got decimal point someday. Twenty twenty is my year. It's the year of commander. It is, bro. If you ever uh, if you ever want to go off the deep end and start telling some uh, some jokes, holler at your boy. Sounds like a good time. So we did it. Another episode of the dead format. The dead format, bro. We we really appreciate this, man. This was this was awesome. This was honestly, I'm not I'm not blowing smoke. Like you can check you can check our logs, bro. We've had some we've had some big guests, and I basically told them to fuck off. But I do really respect what you do, man. I think that you are the Tom Cottis, by the way. I think that you, <laughs> this I think is that so you embarrassing. The, you are the best. Involved. You are the best podcaster in the magic scene for sure. Tell it to everyone who needs to go to patreon.com slash brainstorm brewery and give us a dollar a month, which is as little as 20 or 25 cents an episode. You could have access to our discord server where you could tell me how great I am directly. Rock and roll, bro. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Check, check this off my bucket list.